So 1 Peter, guys, here we are. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 Peter. Uh, and before I hop into it, as you guys are finding that, uh, that book in your Bible, I'm going to just do a little, a little explanation of, of why we chose 1 Peter to begin with. We had been talking in staff about, you know, what's, what's, what's next? What are we going to do? And the thing that kept coming back again and again and again uh, through multiple conversations with multiple people, un- uncoerced, uh, not planned or anything. I kept hearing the word maturity. I kept hearing the word unity. I kept hearing that we wanted to we wanted to preach from one of the books that has a lot of emphasis on on the community as the body of believers. And it didn't take long for me to to sit down and and stroke my chin and think, well, first First Peter would be a great book because who. Peter, who's Peter, who Peter is writing to in this letter is to a group of Christians who are hurting. To say it, to say it simply, to say it plainly, he's writing to a group of Christians who are they're born again, they're believers in Jesus Christ, and life is not going that well. They're under the heavy hand of active persecution, and the persecution that they're facing was only going to increase, and so Peter writes them a letter encouraging them to persevere, encouraging them to endure, and giving them every reason to do so. Not just to barely survive, but to actually use their pain and suffering in a transformative way through the lens and through the, the filtering process of the gospel, of the person of Jesus Christ, and how all things work for the good for those who love God and called according to his purpose. And that may not mean that there's an amelioration of suffering here and now, but it does mean that the way that we process it, what we think about it, is very different. And that God actually can use it for a great good here and in eternity. And so Peter is writing to his people. He's reminding them of the hope that they have. He's reminding them of who Jesus is, how victorious he is, how good he is, how absolutely in control he is, how omniscient he is, how omnipotent he is, and to rest in him even if the world around you is in absolute chaos. And I know that there are individuals here whose lives are in absolute chaos. I know that there are single parents who are struggling. I know that there's people whose children, young and adult, are not doing well for multiple reasons. I know that COVID ransacked some of your guys' lives thoroughly and that you might be here this morning feeling like you're, you're trying to plug a wound to keep from bleeding out. And that may not immediately go away. It may not, but what Peter is doing here is giving us all of the resources, everything that we need to remind ourselves of who we belong to, what Tim was just saying that we're not working towards victory, we're working from it, as Josh White always says. The, the, the gospel sets us up for eternity, gives us an inheritance that we cannot lose, gives us a love that we cannot lose, a love that never dies, and a hope for the future that can be diluted by nothing circumstantial here. And so I'm gonna read these first 12 verses. And the last thing that I'll say before I read is that there's been a lot going on this morning and I don't care, I'm gonna preach whatever I'm gonna preach. And so if the time comes and you gotta go downstairs and get your kiddos, just go ahead and do it. I don't know if I'm gonna go that long, but I'm not making any promises either. So First Peter chapter one, verse one, follow along with me. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as exiles scattered through Pontus Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to the obedience of Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. 
verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and unfading, that is kept in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, which is more precious than gold, and which is perishable and tested by fire, may be found a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with an inexpressible joy that is full of glory. And to receive the outcome of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. And concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, inquiring to know what time or what kind of time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating that he was predicting the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. And it was revealed to them that they are not serving themselves, but you. And these things which now have been declared to you through those who have proclaimed the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit who was sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Bow your heads with me real quick as we begin this. Jesus, thank you for your word. Help us to to hear what it is that you have to say. A friend of mine and I were talking yesterday and I was reminded that even if I don't preach all 12 of these verses, even if I only preach one or two of them, Lord, I, help us to trust that what it is, there's no, there's no standard here, there's no itinerary, Lord, we are here to, to listen to what it is that you have to say and so speak to us through this word. Even if we don't get through all 12 verses here, Lord, I trust you and we trust you to communicate to your people what it is that you would have them here. There is so much hope and there is so much glory and there is so much realistic expectation in these 12 verses. Lord, help us to steep our minds, to have our minds renewed by the truth that is, that is here in these verses, Lord. And that is not my ability or any human's ability, Lord. That is by your sovereign power. And so we trust you for that. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Before I get started in verse 1, I want to actually take a second and just address verses 10 through 12 because of all the verses that we just read, those, those ones are the ones that if I was going to probably avoid, I would, and I've got reasons for that, but it's not important, it is, but it is scripture and so we have to address it, but basically what he's saying there in verses 10 through 12 is that this salvation that has been inquired about from the prophets of old on is something that the, prophet, the prophets of the Old Testament had an idea of this salvation. They had an idea of the Messiah. They had an idea of the promise of the day to come. They didn't see or understand in full what it was. But one lesson that we can take is that what's happening here, what Peter is telling us, this hope that we have, this inheritance that we have, what Jesus did on the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his condescension to begin with, the fact that he came to earth at all. This is not novel. It is not new. It was not a, oh, snap, that God did. It was like, well, I better fix this. What am I going to do? Uh, Jesus, you, go down there and do something about this. This was predicted from the days of old. This is a salvation that was before the earth even began, before there was time as we understand it. It is a salvation from all eternity past. Jesus came and he made it real, and now we are living in the ramifications of that salvation today. And what we're going to see again and again and again in the, these 12 verses particular and throughout the letter is that this salvation that we have, this hope, this inheritance, is very real. 
It's very much a future hope. It will be consummated one day when, he, when Jesus comes back. This inheritance will be known and experienced in full. But it's not just solely, simply a, a look to the future. There are very real manifestations of this salvation that we can experience here and now. It is a future hope, but we also get a taste of it. We get benefits from it today even now in 2022, right here, right now, this, we can feel palpably the reality of what Peter is talking about here. And so to begin, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, I just want to go over a couple of the basics. Who is this? What is this letter? What's going on here? Well, Peter was one of the original apostles that Jesus handpicked, one of the 12. And as you read through the Gospels, you see this very explicitly in Mark chapter 3. There is a big group of disciples. And disciples were people that were following Jesus. And they were following Jesus for all sorts of different reasons. Some of them had selfish motives. Some of them were really wanting to know who this guy was. Some of them had already given their lives to him. And of, those, of that big group of disciples, Jesus handpicked 12 to be apostles, to have a special authority, an authority that we're told in Acts chapter one, after Judas betrays Jesus and hangs himself and is, is dead, they needed to replace him with somebody else. And the qualifications for being an apostle that we read in Acts chapter one, verses 21 and following, is that they had to be someone who was with them from the beginning, from when Jesus was baptized on, and that they had to see the resurrected Jesus. And so Peter is one of these guys, he's one of the original 12 apostles hand selected by Jesus and was with him throughout his entire earthly ministry. His name was Simon or Shimon. And whenever he became an apostle of Jesus and started following him everywhere, Jesus named him, renamed him Kephas, which is Aramaic for rock. And the Greek translation of that is the, is the name Petras or Peter as we know him today. He was an apostle of Jesus Christ and he's writing to those who reside as exiles scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. What is that? And can I fix it? I'm not taking my hat off. Y'all don't want that. So who is he writing to? Well, he names these places here. And we have a map up here. I think that we have a map up here. Right on. Okay, so I bought this laser pointer because I'm a nerd. So I think this has helped. If you're anything like me, just putting this on a map and seeing where is this? Where did this happen? It just kind of, it helps to put flesh on the bones. This happened in a real place, in a real time in history. So where Peter is writing to, so this area right here is where Jesus was born and raised and had his public ministry, the area of Palestine. Peter is writing to modern day Turkey. This was uh, a Roman, pro this was under Roman authority, it was a of Asia Minor, today it's modern Turkey. So Jesus was here in this area, down in Jerusalem, the the, right against the sea and the, the, uh, the Jordan River is right here, and then Peter is writing to all of this area right here, churches in this area, who he identifies, I spent $16 on this and that's it, I'm done. <laughs> I'll find a way to bust it out again, I'm sure. I'm gonna hang out in the bell tower and shine it where people's dogs can see as they're walking them. That'd be awesome. We'll make a ministry out of it. So Peter's writing to exiles. He's writing to people who he identifies as exiles who are scattered. It's the word dispersion. They have, they have dispersed through this area. And there's a long ongoing discussion about is Peter writing to Jews or Gentiles? And there's really strong evidence for either one. 
Uh, I'm not going to take the time to get into that. Go ahead and look into it on your own. I think what the point that Peter is making here is that whether you were previously identified as a Jew or as a Gentile, whatever your ethnicity, whatever your race, whatever your cultural identification, you don't lose that. You keep that. But you're no longer in exile because of that. We are exiles from every land because now you're not in exile for being a Gentile or a Jew. That, that is not the point. Now you're in exile because you are a believer in Jesus Christ. And so, so Peter is, is using this word dispersion. It's, it's a very Old Testament term. Whenever uh, northern and southern Israel was, was, were defeated and carried off into captivity, they were dispersed. They were literally dispersed. And the people that, are, that, are, that, Peter is, that, is, that Peter is writing to are fleeing persecution, so they're also dispersed. And Peter is going below the surface, and he's saying, it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. It doesn't matter what kind of music you like or what kind of food you cook. You're in exile because you are a believer in Jesus Christ. And what I love about this is that he, 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 strips of, he strips us of that identity. He says, you're in exile. You're not home. This is not your final home. We are here for a while. We are called to be here. Jesus said on the last night of his life, he said, Father, as you have sent me into the world, I send them into the world. We are meant to be here, but this is not it for us. And don't think that it is. This is not it. And I love that he says this because in one breath he says, you're exiles, you're scattered, you're dispersed, you have no home. Why? Because, verse 2, you're chosen. You're chosen. This dispersion, this scattering, it sounds uncomfortable, it sounds wrong, it sounds weird, but we are out of this world. We are no longer a part of this world because we have been chosen by Almighty God to be his. And so now our eternal destiny is in heaven. And while we're here, we've got things to do, but this is not our final home. This is not our final hope. This is not our final resting place. Hebrews 13, 14 says it like this. I love this. He says that we... The author says, we have, here we have no lasting city, but we are waiting for the one to come. So you are exiles, you are dispersed, you're, they are, under, they are under, the, under the arm, under the thumb of active persecution. And Peter says, but you are chosen. You are a chosen people. In verse two, according to, you're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God by the, God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to the obedience of Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. They're in the middle of some level of, of hell manifest on earth. And he says to them, grace and peace be multiplied to you. And he'll tell them why, and we'll get to that in just a second. But he says that you've been chosen by the foreknowledge of the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to the obedience of Jesus Christ. We are separated, we are called, we are chosen. We are now a holy priesthood. We are, we are a nation unto God, which means that we are separated for salvation. We are chosen for God and we are chosen apart from sin. We're chosen to obedience. We are chosen to under this sprinkling of the blood. And this is a point that Peter's gonna hit again and again and again. And I think that it's a point that, that we as Christians often, I think we fail here and I think that a lot of the time that our robust understanding of this, the, the actual palpable 
limbic understanding that this is, at, you look up at the sky and you think, I am, I am bound for heaven. Jesus Christ loves me and he died for my sins and I am a sinner and I need that salvation and I have a hope and I have a, a joy ahead of me that I can't even imagine so I can, so I can, I can do this. Come what may, I can do this. I think that that's stifled and diluted a lot because we live as if we're actively rebelling against Jesus because we do all sorts of things that grieve him. Even when we're saved, we can do this. We can be in a covenant relationship with him and still make that relationship one of great friction because we keep doing stuff that he has to be like, hey, this grieves me. Please stop doing this. Let's, let's mature. Let's, let's grow up. And this is very clear in the writings of Paul. He says in, in 2 Corinthians 7.1, he says it point blank. 2 Corinthians 7.1, friends, since we have these promises, let us purify ourselves from all that contaminates the body and the spirit. Let us perfect holiness out of reverence for God. This is not duty. This is not okay for God to stop whipping me on the back or to make my, my situation here better. I, I, had, I had better obey these rules. We've been talking about this a lot lately, friends. It's all over in the parables. This is a grace that does not leave us as we were. It's such a powerful grace. Jesus is such an amazing savior that whenever you've really tasted what he's done for you, when you really get a sense of this inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled and unfading and you look at everything around you that is fading you go thank you Jesus I will tell me where to go tell me what to do out of love out of affection anyone who has an intimate relationship whether it's a spouse whether it's a sibling whether it's your kids you you know what it is to do something just because you love someone and that's what we're talking about here Put away the things that are vile Paul says purify ourselves let us work toward, towards perfecting holiness we never will be perfect. In this life, we will never live perfectly, but that's why we are under the sprinkled blood of Jesus because he did live perfectly. When he cried out on the cross, it is finished, he meant everything that is required for the salvation of the people is done. It is finished doesn't mean he quit. It is finished doesn't mean that he just got fed up and was over it. It is finished means that as far as it could be perfected, it was perfected. There's literally nothing more that could possibly be done. It is finished. Believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Repent of your sins and you shall be saved. It's done. And this is yours. And Peter's saying, remember that. Remember that this is who you are. Again, he knows that he's talking to a persecuted people. He knows that he's talking to people who feel like they have walked out onto a precipice and there is nothing but a drop before them that's high enough to kill them. They can't turn back, they can't go left, they can't go right, they feel stuck. And my, my question, friends, this morning is, do you relate to that? Because Peter's writing to you. That's why this letter is in the Bible. That's why this letter is recorded by the sovereignty of God for us to have here in the United States in 2022. Are you listening to this? Because he starts this letter off, really, there's a greeting, verses one and two is a, hey, what's up? Verses three through five is just straight praise. It's straight doxology. I know you guys are scattered. I know you're dispersed. I know you're hurting. I know you're confused. I know that nothing really makes sense right now. You're probably full of doubts. But verses three through five, listen to this. Blessed be the God, of our, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and unfading that is being kept in heaven for you. 
And you are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. He says, blessed be the God. This is, this is strong, strong language that he's using here. Peter is saying, despite every, do you believe this? Despite everything that's happening here on this mortal coil, do you believe that you have the resources to rejoice? Do you believe that you have the resources to say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know that that's available to you now? And we're being told about it. Do you think about this? I mean, when the Bible says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, this is the kind of stuff, these are the kind of verses, this is the kind of truth that we need to be renewing our minds in. We need to memorize this. I would, friends, the seven weeks that we're going through Peter, at least read the book. It's five chapters, it's small. Not, to, not, not for duty, not because I'm telling you that you should, but because this is water to a parched soul. This is beautiful. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said to the king, you know what, go ahead and turn up the heat in the, in the furnace, throw us in there if you think that's necessary, we're fine. How can you do that? How can you not be able to put anything over somebody like that? It's because they knew this. And we know even more because we're on the other side of the cross. We have great reason to say blessed, we have great reason to rejoice. Because of his great mercy, his abundant mercy, all of this is motivated by mercy. For God so loved the world, he had mercy on us, he saw the pitiful state that we were in and he did something, it caused him to act. He didn't just love us with sentimental feelings, he didn't just love us with some sort of song that he wrote, he got bloody. He sent his son Jesus came willingly, knowing what was gonna happen. This is why you guys gotta come to the evening service because we're studying how Jesus did this detail by detail and it's fascinating and it causes you to bow the knee in worship. It seriously has changed my life, honestly. Because we see Jesus making this happen. God sent him, he came, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. We are given a new, a new nature, we are given a, given a new allegiance, we are given a new life that is not destroyed by death. We are born again. We're born again to a living hope. The living hope, we're gonna come back to this, but this living hope is an active and living reality. It is the most bedrock and foundational concrete truth of your existence, that there is this hope. If you were here this morning and you are a Christian, you have hope. You have an immutable hope. You have a hope that is not going anywhere, and that is exactly how Peter describes it. He says, you've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We had no hope because we had sinned. And God is just, he is holy and he is a judge and he cannot dwell with sin and we fell out of relationship. And us being out of relationship with the God who created us is like cutting a rose off of the vine. It's pretty for a few days and then it wilts and it dies because it is no longer connected to the vine which is connected to the roots where it gets nourishment and it gets water and it gets sunlight, it's dead. And that is us apart from God and that is exactly what sin did. It separated us from him. And people don't like that and we go, well, I don't like the idea of God as a judge or God as just, yes, yes, actually you do. We just don't like it when we're the ones who need to receive justice or receive punishment. But our culture loves justice. Our culture loves to make people pay. Our culture has no, I, has like seems to have no concept for forgiveness, but praise God that he does. And in his mercy and in his grace, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to bear that on the cross, to bear that punishment. 
but he was perfect. He never sinned in word, thought, or deed like we do. And so his life was overqualified for death and he raised on the third day and he was the perfect sacrifice that needed to be had for sin, for the justice to be satisfied. And now we are under his covering when we put our faith and our trust in him and it causes us to be born again, born again with a new love and affection for God and a love and affection for righteousness and the things that please God. And we don't do it perfectly, but we stumble towards sanctification. We, we, we stumble towards being more conformed to the kind of person that Jesus is. This living hope, this inheritance is imperishable, it is undefiled, it is unfading. Another couple words you could use there is it is indestructible, it is morally perfect, it is, ever, it is everlasting, it is not bent, it is not diluted, it is not distorted. Revelation 21.4, it's short, it's sweet, it's beautiful. It says there is no more crying, there is no more pain, there is no more sorrow for these former things have passed away. This is a place where love does not die. It is not distorted by time. There's not even any outside force that can destroy it. There is nothing that can make this go away. It is perfect. It is everything that we do not have here. Contrast it with everything we have here. Everything that we love, everything that we care for, everything we strive for, everything that we're looking forward to, all of it, you're going to lose. You are going to die. Your love is going to die. Your families are going to die. Your career is going to go away. We don't like talking about it, but you gotta get real with it and then come back to Jesus and go, well, this sounds pretty good imperishable, undefiled, unfading, love that never leaves. You know that love is one of the reasons, maybe the reason why, one of the number one reasons why, if not the number one reason why we suffer so much. Because if you're, if you're a parent, if you're a spouse, if, you're a, if you have any relationship that's meaningful to you, you can't be any happier than that person is. If that person is sick, if that person is, is, is dying, if that person is just caught up in an addiction and is destroying their life and you can't do anything about it, God, that eats at us. I remember when my dad was dying of cancer and I was watching him one inch at a time wither from a strong, stocky, 195-pound man to a 130-pound shell of what he was. And I, I, it, was a, it was like drinking lead. It was just this pit in my stomach all the time. Love causes us so much pain, not here. Not in this inheritance. Not in this. This is what, it's unper, imperishable, undefiled, unfading. It's morally perfect. You can't mess it up. It's not going anywhere. We can't even imagine what eternity actually is, but a trillion years doesn't even come close. And it's going to be robust, and it is going to be perfect all that time. We are going to be with God. We are going to be with each other. Look forward to that. It doesn't make what's happening right now go away, but it can change the way that we process it. It can change the way that we, that we deal with it, and it can certainly change any feelings of amorous that we have towards God for letting us go through it. Even our pain, as we're gonna see here, is not for nothing. It's not as if God's up there going, oh, bummer, John Young got throat cancer. Um, Drawing board. Peter, what do you got? He knows what's going on. He has a purpose in it. And there can be a great deal of relief in just knowing that whatever pain you're in doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. Whatever confusion you're feeling or doubt that you have is not because God is lost and incapable. Even if he really wants to help, he's, he's unable to. Or he really can help, but he just doesn't want to. Those are lies straight from the pit of hell. All things work for the good. 
anybody looking at Jesus' dead body on the cross, and they did. They went, well, there goes the last three years of my life. <laughs> Little did they know. Friends, come to the evening service. We're going to talk about his burial tonight and the, the prophecies that were, that were accomplished with him on the cross. He was so in control it's mind-boggling and it makes me 35 years old walking with the Lord for a long time now even more so I want to bow the knee and say praise you Jesus whatever happens I trust you we can grow in this this is something that we can actually develop this truth will never grow old we need to come to it again and again and again undefiled unfading it is kept in heaven for you it is not based on performance or merit it is there and God is holding it you who you you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time you are protected you feel like you're going through space without the proper equipment just flying through outer space, upside down, inside out, nauseous, blind, bumping into space rocks. I know what that's like, but the scripture promises us that even in those moments, even in the moments that these people, these dispersed people are experiencing, they're still being protected. They're being protected through faith. They're being guarded. The God who holds the universe, the God who holds the galaxy is holding you, John 10, 27, Jesus says, I, I will give my sheep eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I mean, do you think about that, Christians? Do you think that's who you are? That's the safety that you have. That's the guarantee that you have. You're not feeling it? Have faith. You're not understanding it right now? Endure. Read this and believe that this is true despite what your feelings are telling you. That's how I got through my dad's death. It was not listening to my emotions. I felt them, I expressed them, I called a number of people and worked through them, but this is what I remembered. I said, despite how I feel, this is what's true. My dad is breathing one breath every 45 seconds, but this is what is true. It's true for him, it's true for me, I'm gonna see him again, and all of that greatness is because Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins. My dad's death became one of the number one motivations for worship in my heart. And you, you know, it was crazy, you, it, you know, his, his body got ransacked, but his eyes never diminished because he knew this. And he never complained. He worshiped through his death because he knew that this inheritance was where he was heading. You are protected, you are safe. For this salvation that's going to be revealed in the last time, write this down, There's, this is the salvation that we have ahead of us and this is the way that the salvation works its way through our lives right now in this very moment. We are rescued from the penalty of sin. The salvation is a rescue mission. And one of the things that we're rescued from, and we can experience it now, is that we are rescued from the penalty of sin. Romans 5.9 says that we are saved from the wrath of God. We are saved from the penalty of that sin. All, everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. Romans 6.23, the wages of that sin is death. Romans 5.9, but we have been saved from that death. We are currently now saved from the penalty of our sins if you believe in Jesus Christ today. Colossians 3.10 tells us that we are saved not only from the penalty of sin, but the power of sin. The power of sin is its, is its control over our lives. And Colossians 3.9 and 10 says, put off the old self with all of its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. It's being renewed. It's not done yet. It will be done when Jesus comes back. But up until then, 
we slowly start working at our idolatry, our hatred, our greed, our addictions, one by one. Jesus is faithful, we are protected. That growth will happen. When a baby is, when a baby is born, that baby's gonna grow. There's really nothing you can do about it. It's gonna get bigger. Which is awesome because a lot of you of you have given me and my wife diapers that your babies have grown out of. Thank you so much. So they're expensive. Babies grow. And so we, we just naturally grow. If you, and if you're a Christian, you will grow. But you do have some say in it. If you're growing up and you're just eating sugar and smoking cigarettes and you're not exercising and you're sitting around all day, you're still going to grow but in ways you don't really want to. And your growth will be, and your growth will be stagnant. And we can do that as Christians. If we allow habitual sin into our lives, it's just gonna slow down the process. And we don't really understand this. I spent so much of my Christian life thinking, well, I got grace, so that's cool. I'm gonna stick my finger in a light socket and see what happens and take a bunch of mushrooms and experience that whole thing because I'll get to the Jesus thing later. And friends, I believe at that time I was truly saved because I was always convicted by my sin, but my growth was stunted. That power that sin has, we have the power through Jesus Christ to abstain more and more and to grow into sanctification and grow into maturity. We are saved from the penalty and from the power and someday in the last time, Peter says, in the last time we will be saved even from the presence of sin itself. Hebrews 9.28 says, Christ was offered once bearing the sins of many and he will come again but not to deal with sin but to save those who eagerly await him. Friends, you are safe. Write down Romans 8.31 while you're at it. Go home and read that. Romans 8.31 to the end of the chapter. And what you'll see there is that absolutely nothing, not you, not anything spiritual, not anything physical, not anything created or uncreated, not anything past, present, or future, high or low, can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Nothing. Friends, as you're going through what you're going through, I know that we can't make it go away, but do you realize that this is who you are, that this is true for you? Because this is how rad Jesus is. Amen? This is who you are in Christ. This is the hope that you have. This is why Peter's like, hey, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I know that you lost your home and your indoor plumbing and you're in a land that you don't understand, but check it out, bro. Don't forget this. This is more true than that. Jesus, your, your allegiance to Jesus is deeper, more foundational, and more eternal than your allegiance or your place here on earth. You lose this, you're still okay. You lose your health, you're still okay. You're still okay. Shut up. <laughs> verse six. So in this, verses three through five, in this you greatly rejoice, even, now, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Dang it. If you gotta go get your kids, I understand. It's 11.15, just a heads up. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. You greatly rejoice. Because what if what, if what you love the most dies? I mean, this is, this is the ultimate question. There have been many a brilliant philosopher who has gone on and on and on and waxed poetic about what do we do about this death thing? How do we handle it? Total total just gluttony, total corporeal revelry, just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow, you're gonna be dead, so who cares anyways, or you bury yourself in some distraction. There's been a million different, uh, there's been a million different ideas thrown around about how to handle this death thing. This is Jesus's. 
He's very honest. The Bible's very honest. Everything here you will lose. But you're given something better. You're given a hope that does not go away. And so you greatly rejoice, even if you've had to suffer various trials. And notice that he says, even for a little while. He said, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven, protected through faith. Your trials, a little while. A little while. Do we think of them like that? Not to ignore them, again, not to pretend that they're not there, but to put them in their proper place, to put them on the proper place of priority. This is for a little while. This light and momentary affliction is preparing for us a future, a hope, a future glory that is beyond comprehension, 2 Corinthians 4, 16, 17, and following. This testing these trials for a little while, it tests your faith. Verse seven, the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you do not have faith, these trials will reveal it. Because you'll go, okay, never mind. The Jesus thing didn't work for me. That's what Judas did. Judas thought that Jesus was going to build a kingdom here and he was going to sit on a throne next to Jesus with the crown, collect money, and, and beat a bunch of Romans up. And that wasn't Jesus' plan. Jesus was going deeper than that. And so Judas was like, well, you know what? This thing isn't really going well for Jesus. I might as well cash out and split. So he turned Jesus in. Jesus was a wanted man at the time. And so Judas said, I know where he is. Give me the money and he's yours. We'll do that. We'll do that if we don't actually have faith in Jesus, but he's some genie to us. And trials will put that to the test. They'll put that to the test. They will reveal that if you have, if you have no faith or if you do, it, these trials will make your faith stronger. That's, I've already talked about it, but that's exactly what my dad's death did. That's exactly what my friend Ben's death did. Being 35 and not, I was not planning on being a preacher. I didn't go to school for this and I didn't apply for this job. My life for years was not going the direction that I wanted and I was mad and angry and drinking and snorting and toking because I just wanted to distract myself. And I'm really glad that those years, that my, well, not, I'm glad, glad for those years, but I'm glad that that happened because I trust the Lord so much more. My life didn't go the way that I wanted it to and that when that happens, you can get angry and get bitter. But I realized that the Lord had a plan and that I was just being a dum-dum. And so those years have taught me that to just trust the Lord even more, to even more and more and more say, all right, whatever you say, I trust you so much, I don't care what it is. My dad's on life support, okay, I trust you. I trust you, Lord. This renews your faith, it tempers it, it makes it stronger, it makes it better. And it will result in praise, honor, and glory. For who, for what, what's this praise, honor, and glory? Well, some people say that, well, it's for us to pray, re, re, give praise, honor, and glory to Jesus. And 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11 says that. It says that do anything that you do, do by the power of God, do it obediently, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom the glory and might belong forever and ever. So yes, that is praise for Jesus, absolutely. And same, same letter, Chapter five, verse four, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The two are, inter are, are, are connected together. Any glory that we ever get is shared with Jesus. We get what he gets. This is his inheritance. 
That's one of the most amazing things about the gospel is that it doesn't, the gospel doesn't just cut you loose from your sins and then release you into the cosmos to do whatever you want. We get what Jesus gets. We get his inheritance. We get his accolades. We get his, his, the, the medals on his chest are now ours. It's an unbelievable depth of truth. It's an unbelievable reality. I want to say one last thing before we close out. This results in praise, honor, and glory. And Paul writes about this glory in 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. He says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and there is in store for me the crown of glory, which the Lord will reward me on that day and to all who have longed for his appearing. In verse 8, though you do not see him, you love him, you do not see him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible. Peter was with Jesus every waking moment of his public ministry. And the faith that Peter has, he's saying you can have that even though you haven't seen it. This makes logical sense. We can believe it because it makes sense. And we're held in this belief because the Holy Spirit is alive in our hearts. We can have this faith, this faith that is tempered, this faith that grows, and it is faith, it is by faith that you are saved. Faith is of great value, more precious than gold, Peter says, and my closing thought will be here. You will receive, verse 9, the outcome of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. There's an element of that salvation that I cannot speak to because I've never been and I have no idea, but we can understand that it's going to be pretty awesome. But the elements of that salvation that are going to manifest now and today in our lives, I just want to point out three things. We, again, are are saved from the feelings of condemnation and hopelessness and angst and confusion that we feel because we're still existing in this world. And so here's three promises that are made. Listen carefully, write these verses down, and pay attention to what comes up in your heart. Because these are promises made in scripture. Despite how you feel, these are promises that God wrote down and has given to you. And they are these. We are saved from, like I was talking about earlier, these are three different things, though. We are saved from sin's guilt. All the guilt that we carry, yeah? The shame. The unforgiveness even for ourselves. Because we think that we've blown it too much. We think that we've gone to a depth of sin that is too far, that it's beyond God's reach, that it's beyond his grace, that it's beyond his level of care to even go. Friends, (laughs) grievous as your sin may be, it doesn't beat Jesus' blood in an arm wrestle. It doesn't, and it never will. We are saved from guilt because we have Jesus' guiltlessness. Ephesians 1.7 says that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We are free from the condemnation. We're free from the guilt, Ephesians 1.7, write it down. We are free from the condemnation. And I know that we run around feeling condemned. I know that we run around beating ourselves up. Some of that is realistic and good, but it, but it, it goes too far And it becomes a whole new level of pride, a whole new level of just self-hatred. God could never do anything with me. We are saved from condemnation. If you are here this morning and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are free from condemnation. Romans 8, 1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. We're saved from guilt. We're saved from condemnation. And we are saved from hopelessness. Well, what verse are we going to 
quote, for hopelessness, we just went through it. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven waiting for you who are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Friends, go home and memorize that verse. Write it on sticky notes. Put it on the mirror in your bathroom. Put it on the steering wheel in your car and tell yourself every day that that is who your Jesus is. That is who you are. And then Philippians 1.27 tells us to live our lives. It says, let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel. We are saved into salvation. We are saved out of this world and we are set aside for obedience. Everything that Jesus says, we say, yes, sir. And when we fail, and we will fail, his grace is new every morning, and we're promised in 1 John chapter 1 that we can confess those sins, and he is faithful, and he is just to forgive. But friends, if you are living in some way, and I know that some of you have been struggling with this, if you are choosing to continue to live in some way where you are violating God's righteousness with your actions, with your words, it messes this up for you. Are you still saved? Sure, you can't sin yourself out of God's grace if you are saved but you can make the relationship one of turmoil. And I know that most of you probably know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm talking about. I've done it, I've been there. If something has struck you this morning, if God the Spirit used something here in 1 Peter to to shake you, to wake you up, to touch a nerve, friends, don't ignore it. You're loved, you're saved, you have an inheritance that is waiting, confess it, get it off your chest, pray with somebody, come to early morning prayer. You have a community of people here who are willing to meet, who are willing to hang out and to talk and to pray and to do life together. And if there's some specific ailment or turmoil that you have, maybe we can fix it, maybe we can't, but we can be with you, but you have to come There's a prayer room in the back to my right and to my left. There's a little nook and there's a room behind the double doors. Go find someone with a red lanyard and pray with them. Come to 6 a.m. prayer on Wednesdays and 7 a.m. prayer on Saturdays. Gene and Mel have done an amazing job creating this culture of prayer and it's changing people's lives. They're coming to meet with the resurrected Jesus every single day before they go and pay too much on gas, you know? (laughs) This is available to us. And Door of Hope, we want to be a place where we continue to do this, where we continue to heal and to grow and to apply this to our lives. I don't know how specifically this applies to you and your pain and in your tribulation, but come and find me and let's talk about it. Come to the evening service. Jesus' actions on the cross are so radical, you're really missing out if you're just choosing not to come. I know that if you can't, you can't. Some people got work and other things, but if you can, friends, come learn from Jesus. Don't come to listen to me. Come to hear about Jesus' radical act of grace and his radical act of salvation. He came to seek and to save that which is lost, and that's us. He's that good, amen? Amen. Bow your heads with me. Jesus, I'm sorry about this microphone, boy. Thank you for your tenacity. Thank you for how comprehensive and full your work is, your grace is, your consistency in pursuing us. Lord, give hearts this morning a soft (laughs) humility hearts in this morning that cry out for you, cry out because they need you, cry out because they're tired of their sin, they're tired of their autonomy, they want 
their king. The Bible tells us that eternity is in the hearts of, of all men and women. And Lord, we know that that's true. And so I pray this morning that in your sovereignty and in your power, you would pull people towards you, that you would, you would convict or comfort those who are in your family, that you would convert those who are not, Lord, and that they would go out on August 28th and get baptized they would put their faith in you and that they would be saved from their sins, that they would be saved for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time and is able to be experienced here and now with hope and with trust and with joy, even in the midst of turmoil. We pray for all of those who are hurting for all the various reasons that they are and that they would find relief through the body that they are a part of here at Dwarf Hope. We are your people. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Hey friends, this is Russ Lacey, one of the pastors here at Door of Hope Southeast. Thanks for listening to this teaching. We always want to encourage you to give to your local church and would never want to supplant that. But if you're a regular listener and would like to help our church as we seek to point people to Jesus and minister here in the city of Portland, we'd welcome your prayers and financial support. Just head over to dooroftheopedx.org and click Give from the menu bar. May God bless you.